Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode is what happened on Friday, May 17th, which was rather a lot. I was on a nine-hour plane trip from Tokyo to Australia. I was in Beirut. There were two official announcements. The first was President Trump stating that imported cars and car parts are a threat to America's national security. And the president had directed Robert Lighthizer, the United States trade representative, to start negotiations with Japan and the EU to sort it out. Lighthizer is going to update the president in six months. This action is necessary and appropriate to remove the threatened impairment of the national security. The second announcement actually involved a pair of joint statements related to President Trump's import tariffs on steel and aluminum coming in from Canada and Mexico. After extensive discussions on trade in steel and aluminum covered by the action taken pursuant to Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act of 1962, The United States and Canada have reached an understanding. That was from the US-Canada statement. There was was a very similar US-Mexico joint statement as well. This was a lot to digest. But in summary, cars from Japan and the EU are a national security threat. Steel and aluminium from Canada and Mexico no longer are. Let's talk about autos first and and the important parts of this proclamation. Now, obviously, this is totally, totally ridiculous. Car imports and car part imports from the EU and Japan are not actually a national security threat. This is an economic policy. The Trump administration doesn't like imports. Newsflash. There are two main substantive points to this, this proclamation. The first is this claim that Imports are squeezing American-owned companies so hard that they can't invest in research and development. The second is this demand for for USTR Bob Lighthizer to negotiate something with the European Union and Japan. Reading between the lines, it looks like the Americans want the Europeans and Japanese to limit their, their car exports to the US, and if they don't agree, then tariffs. First, let's tackle this claim about imports leading to a decline in in U.S. market share. And that's the bit that's squeezing research and development investment. So it's not the craziest thing in the world to want R&D to happen in your country. Research and development has lots of high-paying jobs. The work of scientists and engineers, they, they also create lots of knowledge that may have other uses out there in the economy. But first of all, it's unclear that it's really imports that are causing the drop in U.S. market share. Imports from Japan and Germany, they make up around 13% or so of light vehicle sales in the United States. It is true that American-owned companies, and the definition there, it looks like it's GM and Ford since Chrysler is now Fiat Chrysler, which is headquartered in Europe. Well, GM and Ford have been losing market share over time, but that's about a lot more than just imports. That's because competitors like Toyota, Honda, Volkswagen, BMW, Kia, Hyundai, all these companies have built plants in the United States, and they're increasingly producing and selling their cars there that compete with Ford and GM. The other assumption in this proclamation seems to be that 
research and development spending, even if it happened in America, was only good if it came from an American-owned company. Now, there's something funny about the Trump administration's strategy here. If you look at other bits of the trade policy, you look at, you know, the USMCA, essentially what the Trump administration has been trying to do is encourage the car companies to locate more of their activity in the US. Here, the Trump administration seems to be saying, no, your your R&D, your activity, it's not welcome here. Now, we don't know exactly what they mean because the the Section 232 report that, that actually underlies this proclamation, that hasn't been released to the public. We do know one important thing, however, and that's that these automobile companies, they are global. We asked Kristin Gicek at the Center for Automotive Research about whether any of this could possibly make sense. Well, there are there are military institutions here in Michigan that work very closely with the auto industry, and the Department of Defense also funds research projects that automotive companies and suppliers can be part of. You know, just recently they funded a big research center here in Michigan called Lightweight Innovations for Tomorrow. So it's sort of joint research about how to take weight out of commercial vehicles that, you know, manufacturers are building for the public to use, as well as how to get weight out of military use vehicles. So there's a lot of cooperation, but, you know, generally when the Defense Department wants something done in cooperation with the auto industry, I believe they only do that with U.S. firms. Now, that's getting more and more complicated because there really are no just U.S. firms. This proclamation distinguishes between General Motors and Ford and, say, FCA that has a headquarters in Europe, but also a very large R&D operation and a North American headquarters in Michigan. General Motors has a big operations for their China production and R&D in Shanghai. So is FCA a global company and GM is not? It's not exactly clear. And right now, we're looking at a place where the automakers are investing in wide variety of advancing technologies, and they can't do everything, you know, at the cutting or bleeding edge. So they're partnering across across different firms and, you know, at different levels of the supply chain to work on some of these technologies. So, you know, it does seem that this executive order is focused on electrification and automation, which are two big, you know, headline technologies that are going on. But take, for example, General Motors, who bought a company called Cruise Automation, where they're doing artificial intelligence and automated vehicle technology work. Cruise Automation is a subsidiary, basically, of General Motors, a global company. And some other automakers said, you know, what they're doing at Cruise is really interesting and we want to be a part of that. So Honda has an investment in Cruise Automation. Is that a threat to national security that General Motors owns this company and that Honda has put money into that so that they can share in that research? (laughs) It's all so interwoven. It just is... It's bizarre. We asked Kristen what she thought of this idea that imports had led to the loss of market share among U.S. companies and whether restricting those imports could boost their R&D. There's a whole lot of reasons for the fall of market share of General Motors and Ford, which are the two companies that the administration seems concerned about. So the Trump administration is looking to trade policy to try to drive the auto industry to do more R&D here. I think one problem with that 
is that the automakers are not the only ones doing R&D, that a lot of the R&D that we're seeing now is being done in the supply base. And our supply base is, again, very globalized and international. So there's a lot of companies there that are not U.S.-based that are doing research here that is helpful to the auto industry and may become helpful to defense industries. But restricting imports of vehicles doesn't necessarily make General Motors and Ford do more R&D here. There are ways to incentivize that. There are you know, research programs and, and grant programs that they could put out that would you know, very much target those research efforts on the things that are important to national security. Another thing Kristen mentioned, and I think Samay and I both agree on this, Kristen also really seemed to want to see this underlying report. I guess that's the thing. We haven't seen this report, and I don't know how you can impose a tariff eventually if they do go down that road based on an analysis that no one has seen. I think that that, you know, to me throws up that there's going to be court challenges if they do go down that road. And that's all from Kristen. She also wanted to make sure we pointed out that we were managing to put together this podcast episode from Michigan, Australia, and Lebanon. And so Trade Talks was was as global as the automobile industry. I wanted to point out and highlight just how what we're seeing happen here with the Trump administration does seem to be quite different from the way things have been before. So far, like in the USMCA negotiation, it had seemed like President Trump was all about American jobs. This this is just different. This is turning into the restriction of competition in an attempt to help out some unrealistic definition of what they want to be an American-only company. I should also say that, that this announcement has made a lot of people upset. Toyota, for example, Japanese-owned car company, invests a lot in the US, produces a lot of cars there. They issued a statement saying they were not happy. They said that the proclamation sent a message that their investments were not welcomed and the contributions of their American employees weren't valued. So the Trump administration is is clearly sending very mean signals to these foreign-owned companies. But the next question is how they actually want to boost American R&D. And what they're claiming is the threat underlying everything here and And if nothing changes, if imports don't fall, or if perhaps for some other reason the market share of American-owned companies doesn't increase, then the Trump administration is going to apply tariffs. There is nothing explicit in the proclamation about tariffs, although it does say that because of deals with Canada, Mexico, and South Korea, those countries are off the hook. Now, obviously, there's been lots of chat of, of a deal with Japan and the EU, but at least in the EU's case... Cars, in terms of cutting tariffs, have been off the table. The the Americans have not wanted to discuss that. So did the Americans want to use the threat of car tariffs both to restrict imports of cars and also to get trade concessions in other areas and in part of a deal? And if they do want to limit car imports and car parts imports, then, then who should they be talking to? The companies, the European Commission is not about to tell the car companies how much to export or make in the US. And on the Japanese side, I I happened to spend last week in Japan and I was able to talk to some government policymakers and, and people there in the automobile industry. And they're obviously very concerned about this. Autos make up more than a third of total Japanese exports to the United States. And so they're really vulnerable to something going wrong in these negotiations. Now, Over the next couple of months, there's actually some really tricky politics taking place in Japan. 
On May 25th, President Trump is going to Japan. It's Japan's first state visit since the new emperor and empress were enthroned. So this is kind of a big deal. And at the end of June, Japan is hosting the G20 summit in Osaka, and they've been planning for this for a long time. In July, there's going to be important parliamentary elections. So these are all really, really big moments for Prime Minister Abe. He has to look good during this period of time. And any appearance that he's being mistreated by the Americans is just going to make it harder for him to negotiate a trade deal. Frankly, I'm not sure there is any good time to be to be doing a trade deal with Trump in the European Union. But but yeah, all these threats are going to make it harder to negotiate a deal. And, you know, with with US-China trade tensions escalating and in even reports that talks have stalled, now is really the time to be getting your allies on board, not to threaten them like this. Can we talk about the lifting of the steel and aluminum tariffs now? Yes, we can, Chad. Okay, so I've got to admit, this one really caught me by surprise. Madeline Drohan, our, our Canada correspondent who, who came on a few episodes ago, she sent me an email saying, I'm ready, I'm ready for the announcement. And I was like, yeah, don't worry, relax. It's not coming for a while. Yeah, I was really wrong. Uh, it, it came. There is this interesting question of why and why now. And Glenn Thrush, a reporter for the New York Times, has said that there were basically two triggers. One was Vice President Pence, who was recently traveling across the, the Midwest and, and worried about the Trump administration's tariffs and the retaliation that farmers were, were facing there from Canada and Mexico. And Bob Lighthizer wanted this fight to be over in order to clear the decks for the big conflict with China. Well, it was a surprise to me, at least. And, and reading through the, this announcement, the, the main takeaway is that Mexico and Canada seem to have gotten a pretty good deal, at least relative to what the Trump administration was originally demanding of them. They didn't get explicit quotas. Now, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was really, really happy about this outcome, obviously. And it's a good day uh, for steel and aluminum workers right across the country. This is just pure good news uh, for Canadians, for families, as they head into that long weekend right across the country, whether it's in Saskatchewan, uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, here in Hamilton, or in Saguenay, uh, families or elsewhere, families will know uh, that their jobs are a little more secure. So quick recap of the tariffs on steel and aluminium. Bad idea. Really, really bad idea. Uh, They were put on Canada and Mexico on June 1st, 2018. So they've been in effect almost a year. They effectively tax inputs for American companies. Before all of this, imports from Canada and Mexico combined to make up about 25% of steel and over 40% of aluminum imports. Of the two countries, Canada was actually a much bigger foreign supplier. So it was a a much bigger deal for them, especially in the case of aluminum. Since the tariffs were imposed in, in June of 2018, U.S. imports have fallen Steel capacity utilization in the United States, it it is up relative to a year ago. It's now at 82% compared to less than 77% this time last year. This has been good for steel companies and, and of course, a few steel workers, but it's led to more expensive steel and higher prices for lots of American companies that, that use steel. The CEO of Ford Motor Company, in fact, last fall said that the metal tariffs had cost that car company $1 billion and was hurting its competitiveness with lots of consumers. So so tariffs are a bad idea. And and my question now is how quickly things will go back to normal or or really whether they'll go back to normal at all. Obviously, the US still has tariffs on on other suppliers other than Canada and Mexico. I had a look at prices. 
there didn't seem to be a lot of action in, in terms of the premium that, that US buyers of aluminium are paying relative to, to in other places. So it, it could be that the tariff relief will have to happen bef- before we see much action in, in the prices. But, you know, we, we need to watch that space. I think the way they've tried to structure this deal is to make sure that prices don't actually move all that much. I think it's pretty likely the prices are going to ma- remain higher through most all of North America relative to the rest of the world. We have to remember that Canada also imposed some steel safeguards after the U.S. did their steel tariffs last year. So it put up tariffs on imports from the rest of the world, and neither has removed its restrictions on imports from all these third countries. These joint statements also seem to anticipate that it could be very attractive for Canadian and Mexican metal makers to sell into the U.S. market. And so there could be a sudden surge in exports. And what they've tried to do is address it with a sort of vague safeguard clause where tariffs will snap back if imports of any particular product start surging. Now, we don't know what the definition of surging is above its historical level, but presumably we'll find out at some point. So it's worth just quickly comparing this with the situation before all of this happened. Under NAFTA, the US has a law that allows it to put up tariffs if imports of anything are surging and the domestic industry is being injured by those surges. This deal seems to make it easier for the US to put tariffs on on Mexico and Canada relative to what was happening before. It doesn't look like the US will have to show that the domestic steel industry is being injured by these surges of imports, only that the surges are happening. And so relative to the pre-Trump situation, this involves more uncertainty. It's more restrictive than than that. I worry that this short-term fix could actually just lead to a lot of conflict later. Suppose the United States does reimpose these 25% tariffs after a surge coming in from Canada. Then there's also vague language in this agreement that Canada will be immediately able to retaliate, but only retaliate on other steel products. So I guess one distinction is they, they won't be allowed to retaliate over farm products. Given how legalistic U.S., Canada, and and Mexican trade has been over the last 30 years, I don't know how well this part is actually going to hold up. But overall, the main point of this whole thing is it really looks like it's an attempt to manage trade or help facilitate collusion across borders. Canada and Mexico are basically agreeing not to export too much to the United States. And if they do, then they're just going to get hit again. The last point of this announcement is that all three agreed to end their World Trade Organization disputes against each other. So there are all sorts of legal disputes out, both against the original tariffs and also against the retaliatory tariffs. But of course, all those other WTO disputes out there won't end. The Europeans and China, India, Russia, they still have their cases ongoing against President Trump's steel and aluminum tariffs. It's kind of unclear to me what what any of this has achieved in the in the long run. It was clear that having tariffs was an obstacle to getting the USMCA passed through Congress. So now those are those are out of the way, it it should be easier to get that, you know, signature achievement of the Trump administration through and and, and enforce. But I suspect the Democrats are still going to want more. They're going to want more changes to the deal. So it's not like, you know, now the deal is is done. 
And in the short run, this just caused a lot of economic pain and a lot of ill will between countries that that really shouldn't be fighting about this sort of thing. I think we're basically done here. But first, happy World Trade Week. To finish off Friday, May 17th at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim May 19th through May 25th, 2019 as World Trade Week. I encourage Americans to observe this week with events, trade shows, and educational programs that celebrate the benefits of trade to our country. I am just going to leave that there. And that is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Kristen Jicek of the Center for Automotive Research. Thanks to Colin Warren, our audio guy. And thanks as always to Samaya's husband, better known to his fans as the voice of Donald Trump. I would like to dedicate this episode to my grandfather. Uh, around 10 days ago, I flew to Beirut. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I would make it in time to see him again, but... At 102 years old, uh, it seems he has successfully fought off pneumonia, reaffirming his status in Lebanon as a medical miracle. You heard him reading those official announcements at the beginning. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're at, at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because hearing about two trade events is even better than one. Did, did you know that American beef got full access to the Japanese market on Friday? I did not know that.